Welcome to the Health Business Growth Show, where we take you behind the scenes of the top health businesses to learn how they built their success. Remember, success leaves clues, and we're going to be sharing those with you. I'm your host, JJ Bergen, Inc. 5000 founder of the Mindshare Collaborative, along with members of our Mindshare Mentor team. And each week, we are joined by some of the most brilliant, innovative, and okay, slightly unhinged health business experts you're going to ever meet. These folks have built empires from scratch, navigated the choppy waters of entrepreneurship, and will be sharing both their struggles and their successes on the journey of creating a thriving health business. So if you're ready to take your business to the next level by learning from the best, you are in the right place. In each episode of the Health Business Growth Show, we'll tackle real-world, relevant topics to help you build your audience and scale your income. From marketing to mindset, from hiring to firing, and everything in between. We'll share our own stories of success and failure, interview some of the most amazing guests in the health business world, and we promise to never take ourselves too seriously. Because let's be honest, building your health business can be a bit challenging at times. Success takes resilience, creativity, courage, and a willingness to step outside of your comfort zone. And we are here to help you navigate through all of it. Find the humor in the chaos and build a health business that's truly worth it. So let's get this party started. We are so glad you are here. Mindshare isn't just a community. It's a community of some of the most world-renowned experts, not just in health, but community building, marketing, and personal empowerment. So in this unique episode, we wanted to highlight for you a few of our incredible main stage speakers who had some of the most popular mic drop moments at the now infamous Mindshare Summit. In this place, half of you are like traveling pharmacies. I've seen... (laughs) I've seen your Instagrams and your pictures. You guys bring more powders and things. And I mean, half of you have drugs in this room right now, right? In some kind of pill form of some kind of uppers and stimulants. And I mean, there's more adaptogens in this hotel than there are in America fields right now. So I know you already got the game down. My job is always, how do we take your game higher? Doesn't matter who I'm working with. Olympians, Fortune 100 CEOs, Oprah Winfrey and her whole team. Usher, his whole team, Tony's team, doesn't matter who I'm working with, everybody's always going, what's that next level? Like, what is it? Because what made you successful is probably not exactly the thing you actually need to help you scale. Because some of you in this room, this might not be true for everybody, but some of you in this room in that place where you're actually scared to want more. You're like, more? Next level? Brendan, I'm drowning at this level. There's some of you who are so stressed out of your mind and you've been sitting at these tables listening to other people's stories or out getting naked. Alan, I don't know. I just... just (laughs) Where, you know, you see other people and you're like, there's a part of you like, I don't know if I can get to that. I don't know if I can do that. And some of you in this room, really for a long time, your whole thing has been like, I'm scared to go to that level because you can't handle this one. You're already stressed with your team. You're already fighting for the work-life balance. You're already pissed off with the amount of taxes you're already paying. You're already in that place where you're like, I think I've got my best products out. Or I feel like, you know, we should be at a place where with what we know and what we have, why aren't we killing it like everybody else? And what I've always found is it's ultimately going to come back to your habits, but the habits you're instilling in your team, in the culture of your organizations, and especially in the way you're operating your life right now. Because most of you, you're already great. But going to that next level, how many of you recognize that requires a whole lot more? It's so much more. I mean, some of you have already been that. You played that game, right? You made your first 50,000 as an entrepreneur, then you made your 100,000, then you made your million, then maybe you made your five, maybe you made your 10, maybe you made your 50, maybe you made 100. And you're still feeling like, when is it ever gonna slow down? Your wives or your husbands hate you, sometimes, for doing all that work late at night. You hate yourself because sometimes you wake up on a Monday and you're like crushed with excitement. You're like, you're ready to go. 
Like it's Monday morning, you've got your checklists, you've got your goal sheets, the day planner is perfectly organized, you got your morning routine in, your bowel happened. I mean, you're just, you're happy. You're like ready to go for the day. That's Monday and then Tuesday. And then Wednesday, mid-afternoon hits and maybe you're on the couch watching Netflix in the afternoon when you're supposed to be working. Or maybe it's late on Thursday night when you said you were gonna get to that thing, but you put the kids to sleep, you're exhausted, you wanna do some work, but now you're on Netflix and now you look, it's two in the morning on the fourth season of the thing you just started four hours ago. And you're like, what happened to my productivity? Because everything I'm gonna share with you, my hope today is everything I shared today with you, it's common sense. For many people though, to go to the next level, it's not common practice. You all heard this quote from Aristotle, one of my favorites. Excellence is an art won by training and habituation. We are what we repeatedly do. Excellence, then, is not an act, but a habit. And in a room this successful, I still have to say that some of your habits are terrible. Did you know, including probably in this room, 83% of smartphone users, you know what the first thing they do in the morning is? Get out of bed. No, they don't, don't get out of bed. They just reach over. They grab their thing. They look at their phone. They're like, ah. And they start scrolling through, looking at their inbox, swiping through social media. First action in the morning. And if you haven't seen that study now, it's pretty well known from what we did from the High Performance Institute. If you check your email in the first 60 minutes of your day, you are 30% less productive over the course of a week. This has been validated three separate study groups. If you check your email in the first 60 minutes of the day, you're 30% less productive over the course of the week. But some people go, that doesn't apply to me. No, it applies to you. Just like all the health advice you give to other people who always say, well, that doesn't apply to me. You're like, okay, what more proof do you need? So there's some habits you have like that that can ruin your productivity and ruin your edge and ruin your ability to have joy and really experience life. Because guess what happens if you check your email in the morning? The second you check in that email, I always say it. You guys have heard it for years, I hope. Email system is nothing but an organizing system of other people's agendas. On social, here's my favorite ones that I love, that I know most of you geek out on with me on. The third one is skill. High performers can identify the next five skills they are working to develop. In fact, if you open up their calendar and you look at their calendar, it's so obvious what they're working on. There's the class, there's the course, there's the book that they're reading, there's the thing that they're doing, and you can read it right there. It's obvious in their calendar, which is amazing because most people are not intentional about how they're developing, optimizing, or even growing, right? That's why I love many of you guys, as you know, I read your work, I study your work, I've been your students. I've been in your testimonials. Like, I'm a big champion of Dave Asprey, who I see somewhere in this room. I saw a minute ago. There he is. I love it because he's so intentional about becoming the baddest ass version of himself. Give this boy a round of applause, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> My God. And I know, by the way, I know Dave uses the language of optimization, but when you look at what he's doing, he's actually doing the new stuff. He's going to another level. There's one level of optimization and then there's new optimization. I mean, he's like other level. But Dave, if you sit, if you sit down with him, he's always working on some crazy new shit on himself. And you're like, what are you doing? It's just like, he's always intentional about that. Skill development cannot be an accident. When I had the blessing of training Oprah and her team, I had one, like we were there all day, one line that they tweeted one line they talked about for the next year. And I'd said offhand, I didn't think about it when we were talking about skill development. I said, if you leave your growth to randomness, you'll always be stuck in the land of mediocrity. Successful people tend to leave their growth to randomness. Now I'll get better one day. And that's why I think everyone in this room for coming to something like this, having so much intention to build your business and being together, I think you guys should give yourselves a round of applause. This is pretty amazing. Yeah. And you have to seek clarity for how you can serve at a higher level. High performers are consistently thinking, seeking clarity. How do I serve at a higher level? Like, what would that even look like? And this is the hardest one to train people on after I've trained people all around the world on this topic. It's hard to get them to do because most people can only see where they have been, right? I wouldn't be here. This is, I will show this picture, all my trainings. This is where I grew up. This is our house in Butte, Montana. My mom and dad working their ass off, 
trying to raise four of us kids. I have no idea how they do it, but we were living in this house at the time. The house was always falling apart. Us kids, we loved it because my mom filled us up with joy and abundance and happiness, but we were struggling financially. We didn't know what we were doing. We didn't, uh, we always joke about beauty. There was no other side of tracks because our town wasn't important enough to have tracks. <laughs> so they were just, everyone was poor. It was like, that was it. And, but we were just struggling. But listen, how, how does a kid from Butte get to be on this stage? Or some of you saw me on social media last week talking to 17,000 people, sold out Bridgestone Arena. Or next week, selling out Caesar's Palace, speaking to 5,000 people. How does that kid from that house get to do that? And I, I wish I could say I knew all of the answers, but what I can definitely tell you, great parents. So if you're a good parent, be a great one. And then I would say this simple thing I always had in my life, and that is never limit your vision for yourself or your family based on your current circumstances. High performers were asking, how do I serve at a higher level? Like, what would that look like? And they don't do it on January 1st or just when they turn 30, 40, or 50. They're like, it's, they're almost upset. Like, how do I serve at this next level? Not just how do I earn the next level or how do I get that? It's like, how do I serve at the next level? How do I serve at the next level as a great leader? I'm going through this in my own company as we're hiring and hiring and hiring. The four companies that I'm invested in or part owner in now have over 200 employees now. And it's like, we're constantly talking employees and team and constantly team. My team's small, but the teams that we invest in and that we work in, we're building big. And all these kids who struggle to make it in the job, it's because they're always only seeing where they came from, only seeing my degree, only seeing my first job. You've got to see a bigger vision for yourself. Never limit the vision for your future based on what you're good at now, please. But that's the easy thing that successful people do that holds them back. But I always say this, you know why you need to develop clarity? One reason, your family. This is uh, my favorite picture in the world, mom and dad. And that was my first seminar. Oh my God, was I terrified. I mean, this was my first big, I should say, this is my first big adult personal development event. That would be my dad's last seminar with us. We lost him in 2009 to AML, acute myeloid leukemia. Some of you guys were with us when that happened. But I think about how much I've been able to give back to my family, help them when times are difficult, because I could see something bigger for my life than the depressed kid from Montana. The odd thing is that applies now to at your level and your life. Even if you're happy and you're good, there is a vision of higher service for you and you have to find it. And I don't pretend to stand here and tell you I know what that is for you. But if you haven't been seeking it actively, if this language is new to you, of like, how do I serve at a higher level now? If, if that hasn't been on your mind last Monday, the Monday before, the Monday before that, the Monday before that, we just know you're underperforming and the world deserves you having greater clarity. And so does your family. Can I get an amen on a Sunday, ladies and gentlemen? I'm just like, come on. It's like, your family deserves that. Second big thing we learned, which I don't have to lecture you guys on, high performers are great at generating energy. This chapter is the one most of you will email me about or talk like, da, 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 da. Yes, Brendan, and try this supplement thing. And it's great. This is it. High performers generate more mental, emotional, and physical energy than underperformers. And what's cool is science has figured out a way to actually measure that. We can measure your mental stamina, your mental focus. We can measure your emotional range from positive to negative, from consistent to inconsistent. We can measure your physical vitality through most of the things you guys probably know way better than me. But the most important thing is this, for this group. This blew my mind. Two million data points. Did you know that CEOs demand as much energy, remember the three categories, mental, emotional, and physical, measured by science? CEOs, which is, how many of you are the CEO of your company? Yeah, most of you. Did you know you rate the same as an NFL quarterback in the energy category? The demands on a CEO is equivalent to an NFL active quarterback. That's how much it takes for you to run your business. So you got to get serious about every area of your health, which I know you guys know, but the issue is sometimes you get off your game. I got off my game. Some of you know, that's me going to the Amen spec scanner. Some of you guys know I had a big brain injury in 2011 and really threw me off my game. My career is going like this. We just done a $4.6 million launch. You know, it was like career was on fire. And then I had post-concussive syndrome from an ATV accident. 
And it threw me off. It threw me off in my marriage. It threw me off in my day-to-day. It threw me off on how I felt about myself. And already the high performance, I had to get so disciplined about every little thing. If you know anything about me, I am obsessive about my health because I do this for four or five days by myself on stage for 12 hours a day. Some of you guys have had to endure this nonsense. For four days, I do this stuff. So I had to really take my energy really at a high level. So I still, this was just a couple months ago, uh, going in the spec scan and I never realized it looks like a dead body next to me. I don't know what's next. I don't, I'm gonna have to ask Eamon what was going on. That's kind of creepy. I just say this, be responsible for the energy you are projecting into the world and aim for daily optimum health. The first one is important. Actually, one of my favorite things, if you ask Oprah Winfrey, one of her greatest breakthroughs in her life, she will tell you, it was when a guest came on her show and said that she had been in the green room on a separate show, and in that green room, there was a sign, and it said, please be responsible for the energy you bring into this space. High performers intentionally bring and leave positive energies into the space, and they challenge themselves to do it. Not on accident, they try. They really try. Sometimes it seems forced because they're trying. But you know what's better? I I would rather be perceived as forced than as a guy who didn't give a shit and didn't try. I don't know what I'm talking about. That's it. You know, trust me, my career, Brendan, you're over the top. I'm like, okay, I don't know what that means, but I'm going to go out there. I'm going to sweat and give everything I got because, listen, you have that opportunity. You have to be intentional about the energy you're giving people. And some of you can't even do that at home because you're so mad at your spouse all the time. How are you going to do it when you get the bigger arena? How are you going to do it when someone puts that camera on and shows it to 5 million people on the internet? You got to work on your energy at the highest levels of your entire life now. And I don't just mean physical energy. I mean vibrancy of your soul. Because when you start mastering that, you wake up with a little more pep. You can't wait to get it today. You can't wait to talk to people. They feel it, and all of a sudden, something magical happens in life. You don't have to force the joy. It's just there every day, and you're that annoying person like me. (laughs) Habit three, my favorite one, raise necessity. I love this one. This is the one I would have guessed was a thing, but you guys are all laughing because you're like, of course. High performers have made it necessary for themselves to deliver with excellence. In their mind, in their identity, in their value structure, how they think of themselves, it's necessary to win. It's necessary to be good. It's necessary to succeed. It's not a choice. It's like Tony always talks about, right? When you turn your shoulds to a must, your life changes. What he's talking about is the science of performance, and that is raising necessity. When your action becomes necessary to be good, you crush it. I'm trying to share some of the stories of my career with you guys. One of the most popular ones I've ever shared is this picture. That's when I started my career as a writer. In this picture, I'm going to bankruptcy. I am living in the apartment of my then-girlfriend because I ran out of money. I couldn't afford an apartment for myself. I lived on my friend's couches. They got really annoyed with me. Hard to imagine. (laughs) (laughs) And they're like... Brendan, at that point, I was going to go home and live with my parents, but I couldn't stomach it. I couldn't think of like, I'm this person, I'm going to have to go, late 20s, I got to go live with my parents. I was just so broke. I just, I couldn't figure it out. And I was so upset. And I had the dream. I wanted to be a bestseller. I was like, I want to be a number one bestseller. And I had the dream. I quit a job, a good corporate job that had like money and benefits to go be a writer. Where were you telling me anything, people? So I, I remember I would go down to the cafe shop and I would go to the fancy room because I lived in San Francisco at the time, which I would say is a shitty place to be broke. Because <laughs> it's so expensive there. So I would go down though, but I mean, all those fancy cafes where the famous writers went and I would go and I'd post up right where they, he sat right over there. Oh, I'd sit right over there. I'd get there early. I'd go up, I'd get my croissant and my green tea and I'd come over there and I'd be typing on the blank page and all these other people had their laptops and I'm, I'm tifty type time of way and I'm feeling good about myself. I'm like, here, I'm a writer in San Francisco. Here I go, page and a half. <laughs> Looking around to get some more food, come back, look around, got nothing not motivated, watching everybody else type all day long, looking around going, I'm a phony. Well, you know what it is? I'm just not motivated. 
I'm going to go walk. So I'd go walk around Fort Mason and I'd come back, kick out another paragraph and realize I didn't have it in me. That I left everything. Going bankrupt. Had to move in with my girlfriend and I can't write. I'd go home at night. I sat at my mom's little fold out table. That's where my mom used to have a spare sewing room kit in our sewing room and she would sew us clothes as we were growing up. That's the little table she had. And that laptop I had about 90 days left before I had to give it back. And the bed was my extended desk because the apartment was so small. So the bed had my, my bills and my journals and my vision boards and my research and you know, other people's books all over the bed. And I would just work and I'd work, but nothing was happening. And one night I'm sitting there struggling to get anything through, hating my life, knowing I'm a phony, can't get it done, upset with myself, browsing on the internet, my lady comes in. I'm trying to type some stuff. It's late at night. She goes, crawls under the covers of the bed. And I happen to look over and where she's sleeping, I had all my bills. So I see my woman sleeping under my bills. And it was just like, <clears throat> and I know some of you have been there before. And none of us want our own inaction to cause harm to our family. None of us want our own inadequacy to limit our family. We don't want that. But that was true for me. And I remember seeing her under those bills. And I felt that snap inside, and I was like, mm, not my life. Nope. Not going to allow this. Nope. <laughs> 18 days. <laughs> Life's golden ticket. <laughs> the chart. <laughs> Motivation manifesto. <laughs> High performance habits. Six best selling books later, ladies and gentlemen, because necessity was raised seeing my lady under bills. That was it. Thank you. Thank you. Six best-selling books from that moment. Because now it was necessary to write the book. It wasn't a dream. It wasn't a thought. It wasn't someday. It was, let's write. This is it. And this is how to position yourself to get paid to speak. Idea number one, transform yourself from an individual to an umbrella brand. Over on the left-hand column, vertical line, down your notes, we're going to juxtapose everything, show the shift. We're going to shift from being an individual to an umbrella brand. Now, if you know how I like to speak, I like to give a real-life example to show what I'm saying so you know how it works in the real world. Then we'll reverse engineer it and unpack it so that you can actually do it. Several years ago, I had an opportunity to work with a group uh, from JJ's Mindshare and a program called Name It, Claim It, and Fame It. And we were talking about how to be one of a kind instead of one of many. And I will always remember because it was March of 2020 and almost everyone on our online programs were brick and mortar businesses. And as you remember, their businesses went away. Over on the left, please put individual, please put functional med doc, <laughs> please put immunologist, <laughs> please put speaker, please put blogger, please put practitioner. Whatever it is you do, please put it over on the left. Because if we're an individual, not only is it hard to sell that business and scale that business, and it's hard to get paid to speak on that business, if we go away, our business goes away. If circumstances change, our business goes away. We don't want that. Make your work relevant to corporations and associations. Make your work relevant to corporations and associations. Now, on the left-hand column, put your website, your language, your client needs. What we do here is we actually look at our website and we look at like the top 10 words that we use a lot to describe our patient's symptoms, to describe their problems, to talk about their issues, you know, what do they come to us for? Look at our website and we're going to have a word bank of at least 10 words that we frequently use to describe our services, our patients, and their needs and priorities. Now, over on the right, who are five clients you would like to speak for? So what area of the country are you in? Are you in Boston? Are you in Silicon Valley? Are you who pays speakers? And here's the question. We're going to go to those five associations or we're going to go to those five websites and we're going to look at their 
language, and we're going to look at their employee and member needs and priorities, and we're going to see if there's a match. Because guess what? For most people, <laughs> it's an apple and an orange. There's no match. So why would corporations and associations pay for you to come in and speak if they look at your website and it doesn't have anything that they value or will pay for or that contributes to their bottom line? So let's look over on the right because I'm going to give you three Ps of how decision makers think. They think performance, they think productivity, they think profits. So over on the right, who normally pays people to speak are corporations and associations. And what they care about is performance. You know, now you start seeing the match because, see, if we're talking about brain fog over on the left, we start talking about how brain fog is compromising their employees' performance on the right, right? If over on the left, you start talking about exhaustion and fatigue, now you use their language on the right with how exhaustion and fatigue is cutting into their productivity. How, you know, they're not finishing projects, they're missing deadlines, they're taking sick days, you have turnover, etc. And if over on the left, you're talking about uh, stress, over on the right, you're talking about their health costs, you're talking about their sick days, you're talking about how that cuts into their profitability, their turnover, etc. So my question to you is, please look at the language of your ideal meeting planners over on the right and start thinking how you can take what you do, the problems you solve, the needs you meet, and start putting it in language that will be relevant and profitable to the decision makers who want to know how what you're going to offer is going to boost their employees' morale, is going to help create a culture of wellness, etc. I used to do salons at the National Press Club, and one time we were talking about our favorite quotes, and Eleanor Clift, who is one of the pioneering women journalists in our country, got up and she said, my favorite quote is, we're all in a race to be relevant. I said, that's a fantastic quote. Who said that? She said, I said that. <laughs> all right, so I'm going to turn it back over to you in a moment to start thinking about if you are going to approach one of these decision makers, one of these meeting planners at an association or at a corporation, how could you write a one paragraph description that has three did you knows? You know, are your employees uh, burned out and can get barely get through the afternoon? You know, are your employees so exhausted that they are, um, you've had a dramatic increase in sick days? You know, are your employees always finding it difficult to, do you see how if you write a description and the meeting planner is going, yes, that's happening with us. Yes, my employees are complaining about that. Yes, my members are dealing with that and they don't know what to do about that. Enter you. <laughs> Enter you with your body of work and your expertise and your years in the industry that can help them solve a problem that's meaningful to them. Develop an inventory, yep, this is a made-up word, inventory <laughs> of 60-second dog-on-a-tanker examples. So develop an inventory of 60-second dog-on-a-tanker examples. Now, over on the left, if vertical line, and I'm going to tell you what a dog-on-a-tanker example is. Vertical line down the center, put information on the left and put examples on the right. And if we want to get paid to speak, it is not about our information because they can find that online, right? That's ubiquitous. <laughs> There's thousands of people who could give them those facts, give them that information, give them that is not why we're going to get paid to speak. We're going to get paid to speak because of our dog on a tanker examples over here. So what's a dog on a tanker example? Uh, I was reading the Washington Post years ago. I found an article by Shankar Vedantam, who does the Brain podcast on NPR. And Shankar wrote 
about an oil tanker that caught fire 800 miles off the coast of Hawaii. Now, a cruise ship happened to be going by, and they were able to rescue the captain and the 11 people on board. So he gave a press conference in Hawaii, and he talked about how grateful they were to be rescued. All he can think about is his dog, hot get that got left behind abandoned on that tanker. After that press conference, everyone mobilized. Donations started coming in. $5, $500, $5,000. Save hot get. The U.S. Navy changed the exercise area of the Pacific Fleet to search 50,000 square miles of open ocean to try and find that tanker. They found the tanker. They sent a C-130 to fly low to see if there's any signs of life. There's a brown and white blur racing up and down the deck of the tanker. The Coast Guard mounts a quarter of a million dollar rescue mission to get this dog. And they are able to successfully bring him back to Hawaii. Now, what's the point? Here's the point. Why did people from around the world mobilize to save one dog when there are thousands of people in their own cities and states and countries going without food, water, and shelter. It's because of something called the Empathy Telescope. And the Empathy Telescope says we can put ourselves in the shoes of one person. We cannot put ourselves in the shoes of millions. A book can change the entire trajectory of your career and catapult your brand. I can literally divide my professional career into two halves, before my best-selling book and after my best-selling book, because The Virgin Diet changed everything for me and my family. Now, I keep saying best-selling book, is why I've got four New York Times best-selling books. The Virgin Diet wasn't my first or even the second book I wrote. The difference was that starting with The Virgin Diet, I had studied what it takes to launch a book out into the world as a bestseller, and I followed that advice to the letter with life-changing results. Once I cracked the code, I repeated the process with my other books. Since then, I've helped multiple members of our Mindshare community do the same, including Dr. Isabella Wentz, Dr. Kellyanne Perducci, and Dr. Alan Christensen. Now, I love the phrase, success leaves clues, and this is especially true in the book publishing world. Whether your book still lives in your brain, is ready to be published, or is already out in the world, are exactly how to launch or relaunch your book teaches you those success clues. I'll be joined by best-selling authors and book strategists, Sam Horn and Liz Marshall, and you will learn the critical messaging that gets and keeps a book selling and is people quoting your book. You'll identify the right launch model for you based on your goals and commitment level. You'll discover how to build and leverage meaningful relationships to ensure that your book continues to change the conversation for the long term. You know, beginning authors think that the hardest part of the book process is writing the book, while experienced authors know that it's all about the launch process to get your book selling and then keep it selling so that you can create the impact and income that made you decide to write it in the first place. This exactly how to launch or relaunch your book workshop takes place in the comfort of your home or office Friday, August 18th, and will be recorded so that you can continue to refer back to it. It's time to get that book out into the world. So to get registered, just join us at ms365.io forward slash E-H-T book. That's ms365.io forward slash E-H-T book. I've been thinking a lot about what lights me up and turns me on and what lights other people up and turns them on. And it turns out that when we're lit up and turned on, we just have this pool of endless energy that appears, right? When we're like, oh my God, I have this idea. Who can I call? Amber, I'm going to call you Rada. I'm going to call you, oh my God, JJ, you've no idea of this idea. And just this endless energy, even if we're kind of sometimes low resource, even if we're a mom of a young child or all these different things are around us, when this idea hits in French, we call it coup de foudre. It's like this boom moment. And it's just this, this endless amount of energy appears. You know what I'm talking about? Yes. And so I've been thinking a lot about that. And I took it one step further and I kind of in that sort of 
exploration, I, I realized that actually being lit up is a permission slip to trust ourselves. Being lit up is a permission slip to trust ourselves. Oftentimes when we have this idea and we're so excited about something, all of a sudden the box that we're living in appears or how societal sort of constructs and how we're supposed to be shows up. And then we start second guessing ourselves. And then we start questioning, wait, is that fire true or is it not? But when we actually truly trust that fire and trust that lit up energy inside of us and fan that flame of that, like, that magic that we're feeling, genuinely, truly magic, abundance, just so much follows. The biggest learning I had was I spent seven years working in my restaurant, first-time entrepreneur, never run a restaurant before, didn't even know how to cook at the time. And what I learned was the minute I brought in finally a partner who, was, who knew operations, restaurant operations, within one week, our numbers doubled. Within one month, our numbers tripled. And I was like, oh, do I put the gun here? Ah, over here. Like, it was one of those moments of just like, this is so messed up. Like, I hear I was trying, barely staying afloat, and just trying so hard for seven years with literally pizza oven burn marks on my arms constantly. People were like, are you okay? I'm like, no, no there's pizza oven. It's like, you know? And, and the minute I brought an ops person, and that was like the coup de foudre moment for me when it came to people. My first hire, every single company thereafter will be an ops person. I will never, ever try and operate something when I'm the creative and I'm the person who's going to market and PR and talk to people and get people excited and do the design and all of that and bring somebody who loves and who is, in, who, who, who is amazing at operations. And so I'm in mutual awe of my partner. He's in mutual awe of me. And so it's a perfect, incredible partnership. One in four Americans have zero friends to confide in. And this number has tripled in the last 30 years. And the pandemic has only made it worse so all the work that we're doing here together today and all the work that we want to bring back to our communities is more important than we know because weak social ties, as we know, is harmful to our health. There's been, of course, lots of research around that. Having poor social connections is as harmful to your physical health as being an alcoholic and twice as harmful as obesity. We know this. So some of the things that we might not think about when it comes to our lack of belonging, are all of these additional ailments, bullying, anxiety, obesity, binging on social media, depression, dementia, suicide, so many and most of our social problems lather down to, I don't belong, right? At the root of our chasing of money, power, fame, possession, is this feeling of, I just want to be seen. I just want to be acknowledged. I just want to belong. But the opposite, what happens when you do belong? The opposite happens, right? You feel more confident, feel more safe. You are more empathetic. You are listening. You have a longer life, 10 to 15 years longer when you feel a sense of belonging. You are more optimistic. You're more service-oriented. You care about the environment, right? So belonging is so critical to our planetary issues, to every aspect of society. And yet we think of belonging as a nice-to-have. If I have time, let me, let me just cancel on my friend because I have too much work to do. We have not been taught that belonging should be our most important task. And as I've been doing a lot of research on the science of belonging, realized that belonging is actually the gateway to joy, right? So when you belong, right, your root chakra, and you move up your chakras, what's at the very top? It's a sense of oneness, right? And joy it takes you to that state of oneness. And so, whoa, belonging and joy are inextricably connected. And these are the two biggest pursuits of every human being, right? The pursuit of belonging and the pursuit of joy, the pursuit of happiness. So dopamine, you guys know what that is. The Pleasure Reward Center, it helps you feel a sense of accomplishment. So listening to music does that. Being in community at a certain time of day does that. Oxytocin is from hugging, from the touch. We went through that this week. Serotonin is feeling part of a community. Endorphins is exercise and laughter, right? So if we just, again, invite each of these experiences and every single one of our 
events, all of a sudden, it's a different type of community that happens, right? That is created. Over the last eight years, the biggest key learning that I took away from building this global community with zero dollars in marketing was this method that I developed. And this is the method I teach on Mind Valley. This is the method I teach all over, all over the world. And it's called the crawl method. It's in my book as well in more detail. Um, but this method is probably the most foolproof method that there exists on community building. If you take nothing away from, from this talk except for this, let's really go through in this right now. So crawl method, what is it? First of all, we call it crawl because community takes time to build, right? Like Mind Valley is eight, nine years old. It takes time. You can't just expect things to happen immediately. It starts with a deep level of patience and courage. So that's why we call it the crawl method. So the C in the crawl method is defining your constraints. What are the constraints in your community? So, so a constraint, for example, for Daybreaker, it's in the morning. It's a morning experience. We're sober. We play a certain type of music, right? So that's a constraint. So Louis Vuitton, the constraint is it's a heritage brand. It's not sort of a German kind of minimalist brand. It's a heritage brand and it's also expensive. So the constraint is the price and the constraint is the sort of the style of the fashion. So when we think about the constraints of our community, that really helps to build a guardrail for who wants to be a part of it. So think about what are the thoughtful constraints of your community. And that will really help you define the types of people that you want to invite into it. It makes it so much easier. Another part of the C in the crawl method is your core community. Who is your core community? Who are your original ambassadors for this community? For Daybreaker, we spent two days, my co-founder and I, debating who should be on that list of the first invitations. Because so often in this space, like I shared before, you can really just want as many people come through the funnel and just like, I don't care who it is, just come, come, come. And then it creates this disjointed energy. It's all messed up, right? Like the whole experience of like everybody showing up, it just doesn't create a cohesive experience, especially if you're trying to, if you're trying to create that initial kind of fire burst. Right. I think the reason why Daybreaker is what it is today is because I was so focused on the 300 people we invited to the very first one. Because that energy was so lit and because it was a mix of high energy, relaxed energy, but all optimistic, joyful, ready for action community energy, it just created the centrifuge of excitement and centrifuge of, of joy and that anybody who came after that to be part of, they were warming themselves to that flame. And so to start it off with a core community, it could be 20 people, it could be 50. Who are your original core community members? And really be so judicious as to who they are and why they should be part of your, your original community. And of course, core values is in the constraints as well, is in the C of the crawl method. What is, what are your core values? Daybreak, our core values are wellness, camaraderie, self-expression, mindfulness, and mischief. And these five core values are the lens through which we look at every single one of our partners, all of our experiences. So that's a very, very important part of community building that people don't think about enough is, is again, really, really getting so razor focused on what are your constraints, core community, and core values. The R in the crawl method is your rituals. What are the rituals of your community? Rituals are critical to create your community. How are you inviting your community into your events, into your practice. What, when you come into the door of your event, what are they experiencing? It, what kind of music is playing? What is the welcome committee look like? What are your receptionists saying? Is there, do they have a script for how they should be receiving patients? Right. I actually was writing a script for my sister. She's a doctor at Johns Hopkins and she opened a clinic, um, for ENT. She's a, she's a balance expert. And I went there to look at it and it was like this, totally stark, totally um, just uninspiring place to go. And so I wrote a script for her, for her receptionist to invite people into the space to really invite a more warm welcome to the clinic, right? We, we, we talked about color palette, how to really invite sort of a ritualized, really ritualized experience for each of the community members. For Daybreaker, our rituals are the hugging committee at the door, right? We have a moment at the end where we have a jumping group hug dance moment. We have our dance circles and then we have our closing ceremony where at the, at the end of every daybreaker. 
And the rituals are, it's a one hour yoga, two hour dance party and a 15 minute secret concert. And so that three hour experience, the ritual of that creates that sense of loyalty. Aesthetics. Let's talk about aesthetics for a second. So this is a really tender one because so many practitioners and so many just community architects in general, community builders in general, don't know anything about aesthetics. How to design a website, how to build a brand, how to create a logo, how to create the aesthetics of your community. I think of the aesthetics of Daybreaker in the exact same way as I thought about the aesthetics of Thinks when my sister and I launched Thinks together. You have to think about the aesthetics of your community with such a level of like Nike head. We got to be competing toe to toe with the biggest brands in the world. If our aesthetics don't line up, if our website is just a ton of copy, no photos, no human, no beautiful design experience, that is not our, that is not necessarily all of our jobs, right? Like we don't have to be good at everything. This is what outsourcing is for. Find people who are better than you at aesthetics. I'll give you an example. Thinks, our website, we, when we launched our website, we were doing 25,000 a month on a crappy website, just selling underwear e-commerce on, on thinks, she thinks.com. But when we launched a beautifully skinned website, beautiful aesthetics, hired a branding agency, did the whole thing. We started, we, we made 2 million a month. It like literally within three months, we went from $25,000 a month to $2 million a month, just from shifting our focus to aesthetics. How are we telling the story of our community? Same thing with Daybreaker. We just initially launched with email. Another way to do it is, is an email collection. So what we did, and Clubhouse has done it really well. We did it really well. For the first year, we were password protected, invite only, no press allowed, very, very exclusive. That exclusivity, when you have sort of an invite only experience, it creates that sense of, ooh, I'm part of this insider community thing. And, and it creates that scarcity and, and excitement for things. And, and aesthetics, because we don't think of them as practitioners or as professionals about the importance of the lens of business, we just don't pay nearly enough attention to it. So show of hands here, who feels that they're competent in aesthetics on their websites? And okay, a couple of people. Who feel, who feels like they need more help with that? Yes, there you go. I, and, and I, and, and the same thing with aesthetics goes with, with, um, video as well. So many, videos that I see in this space or just in the space of wellness are just either extremely boring videos, not art forward, too much going on, too much text, very confusing, you know, and so to really think about the aesthetics of your video, not just two-dimensional, but three-dimensional, what is the, what is the storytelling of exact, of whatever it is you're doing and how are you telling it in a way that makes people want to share it, right? What is the whisper sharingness of your of your aesthetics of your community that makes it so special. That's like, oh my God, you see this person's website? It's so dope. I want to copy it. I mean, we are the benchmark of most event companies now. They, I mean, the number of, of people that have come up to me at a, at a, at a conference, an events conference, have told me that we are, we are on their, you know, their board of, of what people look at for how they design their own websites. It's because we pay, we, we look at community in the same way that we look at marketing. We look at the way we design a, a beautifully designed brand. The W in a crawl method is why, your why. Why is this community going to stand the test of time? Why are you the right person to lead this community? Why is this community financially viable, right? So much of the world of community is sort of built on love. And yet to continue building the community, if you think about how you make money, right? So this is what we're all doing here at Mindshare. But at Daybreaker... 80% of our revenue comes from sponsorships and 20% of revenue is ticket sales. Now that we know that, and I don't like that, I don't want it to be 80% sponsorships, 20% ticket sales, which is why we launched a membership because we want to take back control of our community by our community and really create the best content that it's not beholden to what sponsors need, right? We really want to build a community that is for the community by the community. Though we love our sponsors, we're very careful with who we bring on, but the why is so important. Why is a community going to stand the test of time and why is your community going to be viable financially as well? And the last is language. Also one of the most overlooked community building practices why do we think that is? Because language is the backbone of our community, how we tell our story, how we communicate 
with our community is so critical. In marketing, we call this your avatar. So an avatar is somebody that you look at and you're like, okay, this person is my avatar. I'm going to design the website based on this person's needs. So the way we talk at Daybreaker is sort of, we call it millennial minded intellectual humor is our avatar. So every time we write an email, we write a, a social copy, we write any type of communication copy to our community. We think about that avatar and we think about the lens and the language through which people receive the first line of defense is our emails, is our language. And yet people put, again, way too much professional language on websites. I especially think healthcare practitioners can be so much more welcoming in their languaging rather than too professional, right? I think sometimes the, the, the languaging can feel a little dry and professional rather than, hey, you know, uh, I hear you have a problem, you know, whatever, you know, it's like, let's talk about it. And let's, let's really tell a different story of how we practice healthcare. It doesn't have to be professional language. It doesn't have to just be, you know, doctors in, in doctor's coats. It could be so much more interesting the way we tell the story of the language and aesthetics of our community. It's so important for, for each and every one of us to recognize that the root of every community is that sense of belonging, is that sense of that shared space. And belonging is a feeling, right? That exhale of I'm home. And community is the space in which you gather to experience that exhale of I'm home. Do not, I repeat, do not get it twisted. Your experience of time is under your control. You are not a victim to the life that you've created up until this point. You have the power to choose what your experience is gonna be. And my invitation for you is to love yourself. It is to honor yourself. It's to respect yourself enough to choose wisely, yeah? So step number two in becoming a time genius is actually about choosing what gets your attention and what does not. So probably one of the questions that I've been asked the most over the course of my career is some version of, Marie, what's your secret? How do you get it all done? You've been doing this for over 20 years. You seem like you have a pretty happy family life. You're very, very consistent. Come on, you got a secret. Tell it. I said, okay, you want to know my secret to getting it all done? I'm happy to tell you. I don't. I don't get it all done. Because I learned a long time ago that trying to get it all done was not only a recipe for me to fail, but it was also severely limiting the income and the impact that I was capable of making. So let me tell you how I figured this one out. Back in the year 2011, this beautiful little coaching business that I had wanted to succeed so badly, that I had worked so hard for for over a decade, finally started thriving beyond anything I could imagine. So I had these awesome one-on-one -on -one clients. I was leading this high-level mastermind group. We were just starting to shoot and produce videos every week for the new show at the time called Marie TV. We had this annual conference in New York City that sold out every year, and I was launching and running multiple online group coaching programs. It was a very full time. Can anyone relate to that? Yeah. Except here's the super frustrating part. So I knew in my bones that I had so much more untapped potential inside me that wasn't being realized. So my drive and my creativity was off the charts, and I had this sense in my heart that I was meant to make a much bigger impact, but I felt like the path I was on wasn't actually gonna get me there. Why? My bandwidth was maxed out. There's literally no more hours in the day, and I could feel that starting to be stretched that thin and pulled in so many different directions was actually starting to kill the joy and the love that I had for my work. But here's where it got a little bit trickier. So everything that I was doing from a financial perspective, was actually starting to work. So for context, I started my business in debt. And for years, like a whole decade, I was barely scraping by. And now, all of a sudden, I'm making more money than ever, and I've got all these people depending on me. And I remember lying in bed at night, so stressed out, thinking to myself, Marie, who are you kidding? Like, what if you're not meant to be an entrepreneur at all? Like, maybe you're kind of an okay life coach, but as a CEO, my goodness, you can't handle this. You suck. And after feeling totally inadequate and broken, I finally got it together, and I was like, I think we can figure this out. So I remember I said to my team, 
who was two people at that time. I said, look, I know my mission on this earth while I'm alive is to positively impact as many people as I can. And I want this business to be joyful. I want it to be profitable. I want it to be scalable. But the path that we're on right now is not going to get us there. I have more ideas than I have time to execute on them. And we're never going to squeeze more hours out of the day. Like, how are we going to do this? So we came up with a plan. And what we did is we mapped out and sat down and wrote down every single core activity that I was doing in order to run the business at that time. And then we audited and we analyzed everything. Meaning, we wrote down exactly how much time it was taking me to do each of those functions. So every day, every week, every month, and every year. Then, we looked at all the costs associated with it. So what were the expenses associated with each of those revenue streams? How much were they bringing in? So we had total clarity on our profit margin. But we didn't stop there. We took one more step, one more time genius step that I think a lot of people rarely consider. So in addition to having that hard data about time and money, we also evaluated every single core activity in terms of joy and energy. So what was the mental, emotional, and psychological cost associated with each of these revenue streams? Which ones were bringing me joy, and which ones were making me feel a sense of dread? Then we analyzed things from a perspective of scale and impact. Right? So which revenue streams had the greatest potential to impact the most people? Which were scalable and which were not? Once we had all of that data down on paper and it was crystal clear, a few things became very evident. First of all, there were a few revenue streams that while highly profitable and very po uh, popular, they absolutely had to go. Right? They were draining my energy, they were draining my team's energy. Then we saw these two huge opportunity zones, both of which had tremendous potential for impact and scale and profits if we had the time and the bandwidth to invest in them. Bottom line, I needed to activate three simple words that wound up changing the entire trajectory of my career, and I still use these three words to this day. I want you to write them down. Simplify to amplify. Simplify to amplify. So simplify to amplify means that you deliberately focus on fewer things, but you execute on those fewer things at a way higher level. You see, in a world and in a culture that is constantly pushing us to make things more complex, right? To do more and take on more and consume more, blah, 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 blah. I chose to flip that script. I wanted to go in the opposite direction. I wanted to do way less, but to do it better than anyone in the world. And so that decision for me meant walking away from, at that time, over a million dollars in revenue. Now, let's be real. As an entrepreneur, is it scary to walk away from a million dollars? Yes. I mean, for me, at that particular moment in my career, that was more money than I'd ever thought I'd see in my lifetime. So it definitely wasn't an easy or a comfortable decision. And I remember telling my colleagues at that time about my plans to do what I was about to do. And they're like, Marie, are you stupid? Like, what the hell are you doing? All these revenue streams, like, they're just starting to gain traction. Your audience loves them. This is nuts. Don't do this. But my heart and my intuition told me that Simplify to Amplify was the path for me to find this joyful and this profitable and this impactful life that I really desired. So, like me, there may be some things in your life that it might be time to let go of. It could be a revenue stream, it could be a project, it might even be a relationship. Now look, I understand. It's scary to walk away from something. It's especially scary to walk away from something when it's not broken, when it's kind of working, when everyone says you should keep going. But when you are in the midst of an evolution to your next level, you have got to have the courage to step back and to reassess and then to be willing to redesign your own success in order for you to get to that next level, yes? So back to my story, I did it. I was totally afraid, had so much self-doubt, so much fear, killed those offerings. You want to know what happened next? 
my joy, our company's impact, and our profits exploded. I'm talking 10x growth that took off like a friggin' rocket ship, all from sitting down and getting crystal clear on exactly what I was doing with my time. It changed everything. It gave me the clarity that I needed to start every single day knowing exactly what I should focus on and exactly what I could ignore. And so when I went through this process, I created a bit of a framework uh, just to help me get everything out of my head and put it on paper so I could find that clarity. And if it would be helpful to you, do you want access to that framework, to that assessment, so that you could get that clarity for yourself? Okay, great. So here's where you're going to go. Write it down or take a picture. After the event, you're going to go to timestressquiz.com, and it's going to help you calculate for yourself exactly how much time stress is costing you. You know how much it's costing you in terms of your energy and your joy and your emotions, but this is going to help you put a dollar amount to it because that sometimes gets us real sober. So that'll help you. So timestressquiz.com. Are your bad habits costing you massive cash? They were definitely costing me massive cash, and we can fix that. Okay, we're going to go back because we don't need that one yet. So here's the bottom line. In order for you to become the time genius that you are meant to be, you need to prioritize what matters most at this stage and season of your life. And in order to prioritize what matters most at this stage and season of your life, you have to decide what matters most. So for me, in that moment, it was profit, joy, and impact, very clear. For you, it might be something different, right? It might be your health. It might be your marriage. It might be your mission. For some of you, it might be about starting a whole new business altogether or completely changing careers or simply spending more time with somebody that you love. Now, I don't know what it is for you, but I do know this. You have got to have the courage to ask yourself these questions, and you need even more courage to hear the answers, not the answers that are coming from that head. No, that's the conditioning. I need you to listen to the answers that are coming from your heart. Because here's what I know about ambitious creators like us. We can continue to push and push and push ourselves and do the same things again and again and again, and we can even make it look sexy. We can make it look glamorous to the outside world. But on the inside, we know we don't want that old life anymore. We know something needs to change. And so many of you came to this beautiful event because there is something that you want to change. And look, it's probably true that there are so many aspects of your business and your life that are working beautiful and well, and still there can be something that you're ready to change. And I can tell you this, thousands of people are finding incredible freedom when they're escaping time stress and they're following this time genius philosophy. So they're tripling and quadrupling their creative output in a fraction of the time. They're healing themselves from burnout like I did. They're making more money and working less and being with their families more. I'm just saying become Dora the Explorer. Put on the hat and turn on the light and become Dora the Explorer to find the next best version of yourself. Huh. So many times we, we look at who we are and what we're becoming and we forget, God, there's so much in me. I came for you. I came for that, that person sitting right there in front of the camera, looking at me eye to eye, knowing that there's more for you to do. With all you've done and all of your success, the gladiator that you are, the mover and shaker that you are, with all the respect and accolades and accreditation, all of that that you have, all of it, you know that there's still more calling on you. There's still more to do. You're like me. And, and if you're like me, you're saying, I don't want to leave here with anything in me. I don't want, please don't let me leave here half full. Please don't let me leave here half full. I don't want to sit down in my senior years, 20, 30, 40, 50 years from now and say, man, I still got a lot left in me. You want to play full out 
You want to play all out. You want to give it all right now, right here, right here on the field. I came to get you. I came to shake you up, to make you mildly, to moderately, to significantly uncomfortable in any form of mediocrity. <laughs> yes, I came to call you not to your greatness. You already hit greatness, but to your next level of greatness. I, I came here to say, hold on, cape on, mount up. Because there is a time for you to take the cape off and restore. And there's, there's a time for you to cape on, clock in, and mount up. I came to call that gladiator out of you. I came to, to affirm that you get to serve from a full cup. Matter of fact, you get to serve from your overflow. You get to give yourself every single thing you need. You get to give yourself skill set. What you know has gotten you to this point. Congratulations. And when you know more, you'll do more. So don't ever say that I shoulda, I woulda, I coulda, because that's assuming that you knew back then what you know now and you didn't. Hello. That you knew back then what you know now and you didn't. Back then you did what you did, make the decisions you made based on what you knew. When you know more, you'll do more. So now it's time for us to uplevel our skill set to find out what are the ways to create multiple income revenue streams. Oh, I got to tell you, when I learned that baby right there and I understood the power because I, I struggled early on. I, I look at my life and, and, and <laughs> I look at my life and I'm blown away. I was in a, I was doing an interview last night and the interviewer said, Dr. Stephanie, some of you know, beautiful, beautiful Dr. Stephanie, AKA Wonder Woman. And she said, she said, what happens when you're, when you live in your dreams? And I said, I'm not even living my dreams. I surpassed my dreams five years ago. And I remember when I surpassed my dreams, I got nervous. I was like, Whoa, what do I dream about? And I'm not saying I'm not comparing my life to anyone else's. I'm just saying my dreams. I, I, I looked up and, and I wanted one book and I, I had seven. I wanted, I wanted to just run a company where I could touch initially, initially, I wanted to touch the United States. And then I wanted to touch a few countries. And I look up and, and over 80 million people are being touched a year. And I, I just, I just looked up and, and I, I measured every dream I had and was like, yeah, that's pretty much blown out the water. I, I fast forward to today and I'm, I'm living in beautiful Nassau, Bahamas. Um, I'm in the relationship beyond what I dreamt. I literally beyond what I dreamt. I have the, the perfect company for me, the perfect team members, the perfect community for me. Imperfect we are, but perfect for each other. I travel the world. I inspire people. I autograph stuff. I swim in clear blue waters. And I sit next to my best friend every day. Sometimes I'm blown away with who I was able to become when I gave myself permission. Here at the Mindshare Collaborative, we are committed to helping you increase your vision, income, and impact. One of the first things we'd love to support you on is adding a high-profit leveraged income stream so that you can enjoy more time and money freedom. And to help you get started, I've created the Health Professionals Playbook for building multiple streams of income that identifies five proven strategies for creating a sustainable income beyond your primary practice to create time and money freedom. To get your free copy as my gift to you, go to ms365.io forward slash MSI. That's ms365.io forward slash MSI.